Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. Now, this is where it gets kind of fun. Listeners of the Mid Podcast are legible for claiming a Lens profile. Go to the show notes and fill out the survey in order to get allow listed for a Lens profile. You need the secret passcode also linked in the show notes to submit the form, which is valid for the next 24 hours. So go create your profile, go find me and follow me. I'll see you there. This episode welcomes Anatoly Yakovenko, co-founder of Solana. We spent nearly an hour exploring the current landscape of the creator economy on the Solana blockchain and why he believes Solana is well-equipped to meet the needs of a crypto-native creator. We also talk about how creators should be using on-chain data to build communities, his vision for Web3 Mobile, crypto retail stores, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Anatoly, welcome to Mint. Uh, this is our second interview. Last interview we did, it was with Blondish. It was about a year ago or so. We were drinking. Oh, you're drinking now. What are you drinking, actually? Uh, hop water. Has no okay. alcohol. Kind of tastes <laughs> like a Lagunitas. Nice. But it's awesome because it's alcohol, not, not alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, part of season six, all about blockchain data, specifically demystifying blockchain data for Web3 native creators. Okay, so had to bring you on considering all the excitement happening on Solana. So I think a good place to start, Anatoly, is what is the current landscape of the creator economy on Solana today? Um. Yeah, if you've been paying attention and, and I've looked at like the reports published by Masari or Nansen, you can see that basically, despite everything else in the world, like going to shit, NFTs are still growing like crazy. And a lot of users are onboarding to them and a lot of creators. And there's days that we see 200,000 NFTs minted in one day. You know, there's over 17 million have been minted on chain right now. So it's kind of a... Uh, like, uh, I think like I started thinking about it from a very high level and I think in a world where there's like these sets with artificial scarcity um, they're not really scarce in the sense that there's so many clones and so many NFTs that it's not scarce from a very high level but what's actually scarce is creativity so it's very much a creativity driven economy it's people that figure out that like connection between community and culture and like the art and the brand and everything else and able to capture it and those are the ones that are succeeding and instead of like you know the instagram or tiktok algorithm that's surfacing things it's an open free-for-all market and that's kind of pretty cool and exciting and really new i think really new for the web really new for digital content you know before before nfts blew up uh it was very much like DeFi centric and I think the creator economy, like with the entering of NFTs, all these PFP communities, music NFTs, et cetera, it brought a lot of culture, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of color, I guess, to to crypto. What would you say is like the creator's role in Web three in general? Um, this is tough because it's. Um, I think I I kind of look at it as like there's like very different ways that all these things can play out. Some of it is just purely art, especially the one, one, one of one stuff. It's just an artist building digital content and trying to do cool things. Um, some of it is brands. Like I think trying to build a brand in a similar way that Hello Kitty is a brand or Lion Friends or whatever. And some of them are stories, which I think is kind of like, like almost like Marvel. Like I imagine like the next version of Marvel 
is going to come from some of these like NFT projects. Like if, where else would you be trying to build it? Right. You're not going to do it anywhere else. But right. I think so. I think the art, like the stuff that I think happens and like succeeds is when the artist has some intent to like either go after one of those, you know, w with some focus, like either they are building purely art one-on-one -on -one pieces and building themselves up as an artist or have some intent of building a brand or a story around it and, and kind of taking it from there. What are some things you think uh, like creator-based projects in crypto are doing right that I guess other like web two brands are doing wrong? Like There's, creative brands. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think what's clear is that like, there's a lot of more opportunity for a very long tail in crypto right now. I don't know if that's going to change in like the, the, you know, in the future, but like right now there's a lot of smaller artists are able to enter and have like small successes, mm -hmm. but those are meaningful, like life-changing amounts for that artist. Like it's very rare for an artist to make like 50 K right? <laughs> really rare. Uh, but we see that we, I hear see those stories like over and over and that, that I think to me is like what web three is doing well. It's able to connect artists to small communities that can appreciate them without any middlemen. And then that is able to actually capture value and like for that artist and for that community. So, I think Web2 has done a really bad job of that. Like you look at Spotify or Instagram or TikTok, probably TikTok is the most uh, small artist friendly where you can see mm -hmm. unknown names kind of get, get famous. But like all the big, big ones, like it's really, really hard to compete there as, as with a small following, right? Like how many listens do you need on Spotify to buy a, a sandwich? <laughs> Right. Too many, way yeah. too many. You know, what's crazy. There, you're seeing the, like a smaller subset of people creating even more value than those that are kind of generated through streams. For example, yeah. I think RAC tweeted this a while ago, uh, where he's like, I think 130 people generated the same amount of value that nine point or 9 million people generated through streaming on Spotify. Right. Yeah. And when you talk about building like a creator economy, that's either user owned or direct to the fan you're starting to see these like direct to fan relationships emerging in yeah. web3 bringing the primitive for that but i i'm curious from your point of view like why are crypto networks like the ultimate infrastructure for that like why why are they such a great primitive for connecting creators and fans together so the business model is just totally different in web3 like web2 is built upon the ad exchange so the goal of a platform that's backed by an ad exchange is to maximize eyeballs. And the way that they've optimized that is to get the biggest influential brand that can, or you, or like, you know, content creator to generate as many views as they can. And then they steal everyone else's data and then serve them ads that they don't want. Right. And that's a model that has scaled Instagram, Facebook, all these platforms and for them, the long tail doesn't really generate as much because the number of eyeballs is just not big enough. So it's very hard for them um, to actually scale up with what they want to do. It's very much, to me, it seems almost like closer to broadcast TV where you're trying to get the biggest audience, right, for your like right. Saturday night show or whatever, <laughs> right? And that, that's just like you want the biggest stars there all the time because that's the most generic kind of widest distribution content you can get. Um, I think TikTok has changed that some somewhat a bit because the algorithm is so good and it's able to generate content directly to the user um, much, much better than I think the, the news feed has. But I think crypto goes one step further is that there is no platform in the middle. Um, it's there's many platforms, there's Magic Eden and a dozen other competitors. And the relationship between the artist and the fan doesn't go through Magic Eden. It's direct, right? I have this NFT set. I'm part of that NFT community. Every NFT set that I've seen that has gotten any traction, all those folks have built their own marketplaces and tools and things like that and continue function. Mm -hmm. Despite Magic Eden being so dominant, there is still 
like no no way for them to really control anything to be always in the middle so i think that i guess that's the permissionless nature of crypto and the way the business models work in crypto is you can't really build a moat and everything is direct and peer-to-peer -peer at the end of the day so do you think uh creators should be spending more time building towards virality or building towards a smaller collector base for example um is really up to that creator okay i think this is almost like what kind of art do you want to make or whatever okay. right do you want to do you want to make something that is more consumable right and poppy or something more niche it's got to come from the soul of that person and i can't say one is better than the other because they enjoy <laughs> both right like <laughs> i'm an enjoyer of, of of both kinds of content um i think both can work and i i don't think there is you know i i think there's plenty of success in both like it's really really hard to predict because i think like CryptoPunks is very niche right those pixelated right. photos were really like very targeted like you know especially in the like in those early days you couldn't really like predict okay this is going to be almost like the um the icon for nfts right mm -hmm. uh, but they hit the right that right combination of like appeal to a very niche community that was able to grow and kind of become this really massive brand. So I, I don't know, like it's got to come from the soul. Yeah. So things that come from the soul, you need a set of tools to create things that come from the soul. And um, I want to quickly highlight some of like the creator tool stacks that exist on Solana. So the most obvious one is of course, Magic Eden, right? As, as like the, the premier marketplace but what are other tools that creators can tap into um, that otherwise may not be as familiar for example yeah there's other marketplaces so exchange art which focuses more one-on-one -on -one pfps uh, fractal which has its own kind of um, market style and OpenSea is obviously also on solana but mm -hmm. uh, the main one for creators is metaplex where it's really designed for users to be able to launch their own nft set and get that like initial mint off the ground. Um, and a lot of folks in those early days would run their own mints. They weren't using Magic Eden or anyone else as their kind of launch path. Um, my, my feeling, and this is coming from me just being like four years in crypto, and cryptos, I think, doesn't matter if it's NFTs or tokens or products, it's so launch-oriented. There's this like... This is how, like, I think the industry is driven by these impulse events. Even the <laughs> POS merge, right? The very technical thing. There's a date and anticipation and right. kind of, like, everything's built up to that thing. Um, I feel like if you put in the work and try to do it yourself, you'll learn a lot and you'll, and you'll become a better art, like, a better uh, distributor of your own art, mm -hmm. right? You'll be a better... A, a, better spokesperson, a, be a better salesperson or whatever, you'll have that connection directly with the fans. So I highly recommend folks like put in the time and try something like Metaplex where you run and, and you know, host your own mints and stuff. And there's tools to like make it easier. Like Holaplex is built on top of Metaplex for like self-hosting. Sure. So another thing that's super interesting about Solana is about last year, actually July, 2021, Solana announced a $5 million creator fund, which was in collaboration with Audius and Metaplex, two companies we sort of, we brought up earlier. Um, it's been a year. I wanted to do like a, a quick recap. If you have any pointers on that, like where are we right now with the deployment of the capital on the website? It said there was a goal to get a thousand creators on Solana. I feel like we, like you guys achieved that well beyond <laughs> your wildest dreams. Uh, but can you give me a little bit insight into the development of the fund? Yeah, the fund uh, was much more active in those early days. Um, and like these were just like small grants to get folks like photographers and like small community grants. But as soon as the ball started rolling, just the number of applications, even people asking for those grants dropped off because people were became self-serve um, because Metaplex became so easy. And you saw mm -hmm. Magic Eaton and like these other marketplaces succeed to the point that artists like just put the two together, okay, and make art, <laughs> like, right. for the community and the ghost to market. And, like, 
Um, that's all. That's always been like a really awesome sign for any kind of grand framework that we've done is when the grand becomes irrelevant and there's like just growth happening on its own. Uh, yeah. But if if you are an artist and you're thinking about like there are there is some some reason that you imagine you'd want a grant, please apply like it's still open. Okay, all right, good to know. I think another interesting thing uh, about Solana is obviously the the underlying network and infrastructure is is arguably better tailored towards scalability currently, right? And I think for a lot of creators, they end up being starving artists, um, and they, they a lot of people actually can't afford to mint. Uh, NFTs on Ethereum, and it tends to be a, a major barrier. It's also a lot of the criticisms that many creators kind of bring to the network. Beyond, I guess, like transaction fees on Solana, why do you think Solana is better equipped to empower the next generation of creators? It's been like, you know, ridiculously energy efficient, like green from day one. So compared to proof of work networks, Solana is like a million times more energy efficient. You can think of one Solana transaction as like three Google searches, but even compared to proof of stake networks, like the EVM based ones, especially because we've optimized this thing to the hilt for a bunch of Qualcomm nerds. It's like, I think by a factor of 10 to a hundred more energy efficient than a lot of the proof of, proof of stake networks. So I'm pretty proud of that. I'm an engineer. I would like, I don't know if I could live with myself working on, on the proof of work chain <laughs> <laughs> for, for many reasons. One of those just because how inefficient it is the other one is obviously like I also live in California and I see the environmental impact of climate change. Pretty obvious here. Got it. You know, you brought up Qualcomm and I think it's so interesting. You spent over 12 years at Qualcomm and I'm curious how your time over there has kind of shaped your early insights into developing Solana. Yeah, so cellular networks, those are some of the largest networks in the world. You know, there's like five mil, five billion people using LTE devices and they are under constant attack from state state vectors, like, you know, <laughs> state funded attacks. And um, the kind of technical grit and and like perseverance that it takes to launch these things is insane. And I got to learn from some of the best people in the world, like just getting really complicated code deployed to, to scale and solving really hard problems. So I'm uh, pretty blessed to have worked there during that time, because that was really the time when we went from these like dinky flip phones, 2003, mm -hmm. I don't know if folks remember Nokia like phones and like those LG ones to the last device I was working on, like the last project was this like augmented reality supercomputer <laughs> that was like in the palm of my hand. It's just, and that just took 10 years. So it's pretty crazy how quick technology can move. So I actually, I want to get into the whole web three mobile side in a second, but last thing I want to sort of cover on, on the creator economy stuff is you brought up the the not the analogy but the kind of like the very blunt statement that facebook TikTok, snapchat all these platforms they make creators slaves to the platform creators are forced to create content and then facebook instagram TikTok, whatsapp all these platforms end up being these walled gardens of data right but in crypto everything is transparent everything is open the creator is the platform right creators are are, are can never be shadow banned by a network for example right i'm curious with data being so open, so transparent, with every single collector comes a new set of data that creators can kind of tap into. How do you think about on-chain data from the point of view of a creator? Like how should creators be using on-chain data to further build, further monetize, further own their creator economy? What does that look like? I think, so there's like some, some obvious things that like the art and the wallets that it's distributed in, those are your users and you can track and like verify that. And you can start building plugins where users in discord can actually verify that they're own some of your art or part of this NFT collection and using the, using that data set, right. People have started forming DAOs where the community is coordinating what like the direction of the art or the story or potentially funds if this art piece is collecting secondary income into the DAO and things like that. And that's a like that's a very different thing. That's never I think it 
it like reminds me of like 90s, 20s data (laughs) collectives where people were just like experimenting between like art and community, like all at the same time. It was very intermixed and um, it's cool. Like we live in like a, a beautiful time where you can really just like think of crazy ideas and go try them. Um, I think what's missing still, and I don't, I don't know if it's like really buildable or will, if it'll organically grow is like ability for folks that are content creators to be able to kind of move quickly and easily move platforms where the content is distributed, but keep their subscriptions and keep that like fan base and kind of move them from one to the next. And like, I think most of the pieces are there, you know, the wallets that have your art, right. Mm-hmm. And you can effectively like redistribute, you can go ideally in the world where web three is fully adopted. You should be able to go from like Spotify to YouTube to TikTok and bring all those right. things together. Right. And give them content directly through those, uh, through that like network graph that's on chain. Um, but we're not quite there yet. I think initially building the community and like figuring out like which folks want to participate in DAOs and stuff like that is a pretty easy way to get started. Yeah. I think based off what you're saying right now is like, for example, before TikTok became a thing, the, the platform was Instagram, like all the celebrities, all the influencers were on there. And then when TikTok became a thing, you started seeing like a shift of a new type of creator. Right. And a lot of the Instagram creators that sort of had their following their virality, they tried to come to Instagram. They didn't see as much success as those who initially stuck with TikTok, and they built those crazy audiences. But you have that issue of like cross-platform fan engagement, where yeah. I guess the blockchain is like the primitive, the opportunity to kind of enable that interoperability. I think, like, I can't imagine any other place being able to build that besides blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. And I honestly think like there's bigger firms like Instagram are open to this because at their heart, they're, they're, they're just stuck with the business model that they have in web two, right? Like web three is just not mature enough for them to switch. I think at their heart, they still want to like build these awesome platform for artists to connect, um, and like connect with their fans and, and like make awesome art. Um, it's just the only way that they can money is through ads and that that's right. Right. We, the, for that to change, we need to have like, I think, I don't know, there's like maybe 10 million people globally mm-hmm. that actively sign crypto transactions per month, not just hold crypto. Cause that's like holding.com stocks in the nineties, but actually <laughs> sign transactions. Um, and that's just too small, right? It's a large enough number to where you can see folks try and build audiences and stuff and iterate and, and like be extremely successful. But it's not enough, I think, for like the Facebooks and like the Googles and TikToks of the world to really switch over yet. Mm. Um, what do you what do you think the future of advertising looks like in Web3, considering that statement? Well, I'm hoping it gets like, there's, I think there's still a place where people want to like, promote like decimate information that's useful about new products or new ideas or art or whatever but i hope it's less based around stealing your data and more about like serving the needs of the of the users and i don't like i think that switch will happen but it really needs Mm -hmm. to come from behaviors of consumers changing and the crypto consumers have totally different behaviors like than (laughs) than the web two ones and this as more people on board to cryptos, more people start getting into like these NFT communities and like having fun there instead of Instagram or TikTok, then things will shift. So I, my, my hot take, I guess, is because the blockchain is so open, you have so many additional data points that you can gather that you otherwise wouldn't have across these web two platforms. For example, a lot of that revolves around like financial data. Right. So as a creator, you've never really been able to access and see the net worths of your your top fans or your your audience. Right. You've never really been able to see what other music they listen to in crypto. 
the more collectors you have, the more data points you unlock, the better experiences you can create for your community. You can see what other communities they're a part of, what other things are collecting, how old is their wallet age, how much money do they have, and create customized experiences based off those data points and make more confident decisions based off that. I think I think there's a level of like transparency and like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like in on Facebook, like your entire identity is doxed, right? Yep. In crypto, you can still access that data but have that level of privacy alongside with that yeah the, the goal of crypto i think is to give you optional pseudonymous identities that mm -hmm. you can switch on and off at any time and i think that comes from the fact that it, all the blockchain data is public so developers have to minimize the amount they collect and they never like force you to reuse the same id or wallet or anything else right there's no like username password in any web3 application so it comes from this idea that the user is going to bring you whatever data they want to, and then you just deal with it as the application. You never try to like take more. Um, and that allows the user and like wallets to implement privacy features. You should be able to switch identities and like totally disconnect between when you need to. Um, so it's hard. It's just really hard to build these technologies with great U UX. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I'm hoping stuff that we're doing for like something like Saga at least shows an example of it, right? And like can move the space forward. But um, that's really, really tough. But I think I think you're like right. Like I think artists have. Um, if I, I don't know if the tools are there yet, but like I think if you're technically savvy, you can start building much better like models of like what else your your fans are listening to and what else what other nfts are you know that they have in their wallet and things like that yeah what's up guys sorry for the quick pause but i wanted to tell you about bello a new blockchain analytics tool i built that helps web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys. And now it's ready to help other creators too. If you're a Web3 native creator, NFT project founder, or community manager, join the waitlist to try Bello's beta product today by signing up at bello.lol forward slash join. That's B-E-L-L-O dot L-O-L forward slash join. All right, back to the episode. You know, speaking of Saga, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's dive into Web3 mobile, okay? Uh, part of why I wanted you to have on, first of all, congratulations on the introduction of Saga. It made incredible waves online. What was uh what were your initial like reactions seeing the community's reaction on a uh, web three mobile phone? I was really nervous. I think I <laughs> I expected, I guess, that we would get, I don't know, fall flat on our face a bit. That, or that people <laughs> wouldn't get it. And I was really pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just Solana people that are really happy, but I saw people across the entire industry, like we were on Bankless, yeah. like um and I think what that tells me is that everyone in crypto feels this frustration that the Apple and Google are not taking Web3 seriously at all. Like the Apple announcement, you know, 12 years after, you know, Bitcoin is 12 years old, they had zero features for crypto. And the stuff that we're adding to the phone are, is really, really, um, it's technology that's really simple. Like when I was at Qualcomm, like six years ago, uh, the tools to do this were already there. So specifically, we're storing and recovering the seed phrase inside a secure element on the device. So it kind of makes it more like a hardware device, but I don't want to compare it to something like Ledger. For cold storage, please use Ledger. For But what that means if, if your seed phrase is in the secure element of the device is that your wallets no longer have to store your seed phrase. So as a user, you don't have to trust your wallet with the seed phrase. The wallet just asks the operating system. The wallet can never steal it. And that actually makes the wallet devs happy because they can innovate and build more stuff. We can now allow wallets to be in the tap to pay loop. Like when you mm. go to an NFC card at a, at a shop, you should be able to bring up Phantom and we should be able to 
secure, make that environment so secure that we know that Phantom can't steal your funds and like be able to process that transaction and should be able to pay for your coffee with whatever token you want. Um, when you open a Web3 app, you know, like right now there's a wallet connect button and you see 50 different wallets. Then you go to a different Web3 app and there's a wallet connect button. There's 50 different other wallets, right? <laughs> that, <laughs> that UX just goes away because the apps in the environment can basically get the, the public key that's represented by your seed phrase directly from the OS. It's almost automatically connected. And then when you need to sign, it's like, the delightful Apple Pay experience, right? Just a little thing slides up, you hit right. tap, tap the thumbprint and you're good to go. And it's secure and like simple and easy. And our bet here, and this is again, big risky bet, is that like this environment and the a Web3 friendly app store to in the hands of 50,000 people that are actually actively using this device, signing actively on a day-to-day -day basis is a better distribution channel than the big app stores are for Web3 devs today because of the restrictions in the app stores. And those restrictions come from the this like inability of those firms to embrace true digital ownership. Like when you buy a movie from Amazon and say buy to own, you don't actually own it. You're just mm. renting it from Amazon right. forever. You can't sell it. You can't use it in a DAO, right? Like there's nothing you can do with it <laughs> besides watch it over, stream it to yourself over right. and over. Um, when you buy an NFT, you actually own it, right? You can use that NFT in DAOs. You can use it on other smart contracts. You can resell it. And because of that, like the business model of charging 30% flat or 20% flat on digital purchases doesn't work. There's no way Magic Eden can tack on $2,000 to a mobile user on a $10,000 yeah. NFT. They can't eat that cost themselves anyways, right? So it's just impossible for, for Web3 models to work inside uh, and like the default app stores. So I think if we can prove that this works, my hope, like there's kind of kind of two win cases here, right? Is one... To me, like I'll do a victory lap when somebody buys this phone because there's an application like a Web3 app that they wanted so badly. And they're like, right, screw it. I'm going to buy this, <laughs> this phone because I want to use this app and it's awesome. That would be a victory lap. The other one is we succeed and there's enough growth <laughs> to the point that Apple and Google decide, OK, we actually need to implement these features by default in our mobile applications. And then we've opened up, we cracked open Web3 for everyone. So why don't you think Apple and Google are actually taking it seriously, considering all the excitement, all the potential innovation and existing innovation? Like, why aren't they waking up and making some noise themselves? So I don't think it's out of malice or anything like that. It's simply because the number of people that actually actively use crypto that sign transactions with applications on a monthly basis is still really small. It's about 10 million on aggregate. A lot of people hold crypto, but holding it is not really using it. Um, that, and that's kind of the, the main problem. We have, we have a lot of people that are like, the space is based on a lot of people that are really excited about like tokens and their price, but not about using the chain. <laughs> so that needs to change, right? Like we actually need users like, and I think as obvious to us in the last 12 months that all the main usage is coming from creator driven projects like art, like NFTs. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that DeFi is not important. It's just in my mind, I actually think that NFTs are DeFi under the hood. There's contracts there, there's DAOs, there's all the stuff that make up DeFi are still in NFTs, but NFTs are actually gaining some like consumer adoption. So that's the place to grow to the number of people with wallets and that's the way to do it. The attempt, though, to take crypto mobile is not a first. Like over the years, we've seen HTC make early bets, Samsung do the same, but nothing really fell in like product market fit from what I see, at least. What mistakes do you think they made and what do you vision doing differently for Saga? So I think there's a lot of a, you know, we might fail perfectly just coming out right there. I think <laughs> what we're trying to do that's different is that make SMS a platform that 
is open source. There's other devs that contributing to it that can enable other networks. If there's people that want to add Ethereum to this, we'll definitely take that code. We'll get it audited. Be, it'd be really silly for the Solana team to try to build an awesome Ethereum integration, but like it is <laughs> the platform, the, the code is open and I think making it a platform will allow us to get, I'm hoping the next HEC crypto phone is actually using SMS and that level of standardization, having a con constant, like uh, like consistent, like experience for users and feature set and application store can get that network effect going. So that's that's the hope and the bet. So, what what does a, a mobile DApp store really look like? Like, what are the take rates? Is it user it's the owned? Same thing, but okay. no fees on digital purchases or transfers. That's the simple thing. I think uh, in the future, the sustainable models should be based on like a basically a transaction rate, like but a sub one percent, like half of a percent like what you'd expect out of like a a normal credit card or whatever or like debit sure. card purchase not 30 percent on every that's insane <laughs> right it, it should be no different than like like there's no reason why ebay doesn't have a 30 percent fee on physical purchases but an nft store does um and that just comes from i think this broken understanding of true digital ownership but it'll change I, i'm 100 percent sure of that I guess the, the last question I have about the phone is that you gotta you gotta accommodate all the selfie loving people and all the photographers and it's an a awesome lot camera. of that. Okay, so that was yeah. my next question. Like, what what is the camera quality actually like? What what it's, does that entail? Yeah, it's uh, a really high end camera on the hardware side, so it can capture as much data and like I think as take as good as great pictures as Pixel. But um, I think. There's differences in like the Google base, the Google camera app and the and the app on the phone. And I'm sure some stuff is going to be better. Some stuff is going to be worse. But the hardware itself is awesome. You should you should mint the first Solana selfie. Yeah, like the sure. first Solana phone <laughs> selfie for like an unlimited edition free just yeah. to get the community hyped on it. I think yeah, that'd be really sure. cool. <laughs> Another cool thing that you guys are doing that really makes you guys different uh, from other networks is you now have IRL retail stores. You have the first one that just opened, yeah. right? It's in New York. Yep. What's up with that? What, what's uh, the vision behind was, that? Uh, an opportunistic thing. I think post-COVID okay. retail space dropped in price uh, like dramatically. And this opportunity came up. And Raj and I were just like trying to figure out, is this a very dumb idea? But like it was, it also seemed like a, like potentially could be fun and could like what we've seen like succeed really well is uh like hacker houses and like all these physical events that we do are like the heartbeat of the of the community and the network yeah. and those we do them like enough to the point that like the virtual hackathons get bigger and bigger because there's enough like glue at the physical layer and it, it can't, every, everything can't be virtual. People want to connect. They want to smell each other, drink a beer together, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> Coming out, right? Like all these things are really important, I think, for community building. So I think these stores are a way to really get a person that's never used crypto to get hands-on experience with like buying an NFT or like, do, like signing for their first transaction or setting up their seed phrase. And uh, our hope is that, like, maybe that'll, it's not going to get a billion people, right, to use crypto. Right. But you got to start somewhere. And maybe those are the folks that tell their friends and get, like, the next, you know, the, the ball rolling for the next generation. I think it's such a fun way to create a low barrier to entry, uh, like, touch point for people to get engaged with crypto. Yeah, I think totally. it's also an elegant store. I think so. I read some features online. So it has Solana Pay that's accepted there. It has an NFT gallery. There's interactive uh, installations of like visualizations of what's happening on the Solana blockchain in real time. There's a private booth for people to set up a phantom wallet. People can also check out the new Solana. So, like, there's all these like elements that allow someone to really connect intimately with the ecosystem. I think it's actually brilliant. Thank you. It, it's also could fail, but like, I think. The point of the space is you got to try stuff like any entrepreneur, or any artist knows that like you're going to do 20 things before you find one that, that works really well. 
and it's the process of doing them is that you learn how to connect with the with your fan base and your and your users. What what did the mood board look like for designing a Solana store? <laughs> Honestly, so um, I I just see the results for any designs afterwards. I'm like okay. I'm the engineer. <laughs> <laughs> you're like all right the logo lights up that's great and ship I'm it like, and, it's, and every time i'm like pleasantly surprised i'm like holy shit this is even this is better than i expected <laughs> so <laughs> i've gotten really good to just completely trust raj on, on like all the design stuff i think i think we've seen a lot of like retail related atms like bitcoin atms crypto atms i'm actually quite bullish on retail stores being a like an a really powerful vehicle for mainstream crypto adoption. What does that really look like to you in the grand scheme of things? Like, do you imagine a store in every mall, a store in every neighborhood? Like what, what is like a crypto crypto retail really look like? <laughs> Honestly, I, I think, I think this will go into waves where we will need more physical connections. Maybe, maybe more stores, maybe more hacker houses, maybe more persistent, like stores are like a good persistent base, um, but they could transform into like internet cafes or whatever, right? Weird, weird stuff that we don't expect. That'd be Un cool. Until <laughs> enough people on board and then it'll kind of fall in, into, into history, right? Like <laughs> and people forget about it, but like this initial bootstrapping phase, I think is going to be really kind of uh, hard and interesting and like, it's just we're doing the stuff right now that doesn't scale and then trying to see and figure out where we can actually get the next wave mm. of users. Interesting. So what, what else, what other tactics have you guys tried that is on that same like mindset? Like let's do stuff that doesn't scale to see what traction is like and then find ways to scale it. What are other things you've done? Um, well, I mentioned the hacker houses a bunch and this was right. after we did. Which like I've been to, by the way, yeah. they're great. I really enjoyed them. This was also like really counterintuitive. We did uh, a bunch of hackathons prior to Breakpoint. And when we did Breakpoint, a bunch of the devs on their own set up a hacker house. And like they were just having a ton of fun, just like working and building together during the whole conference. And we thought like, what if we just like ran with it? Like people seem to be really into getting together because we've all just been on lockdown for two years. There's probably a lot of pent up, like just human connection out there. So we started Smelling doing energy. that in like <laughs> every city. And that was true. And like, what was really cool is that like every city is so different. You had very technical like stuff happening, like in Prague and Eastern Europe or like London, but then super media focused, like folks in LA and like very business oriented people in New York <laughs> and like very like DeFi trade people focused in Chicago. And um, each one of those cities has a different personality and pockets. And that was like, to me, really, just really interesting to see how, how that that's just different from city to city. Um, and again, I don't know, like, I, I doubt we can scale it to 50,000 devs or something getting onboarded through mm -hmm. hacker houses. But I think right now it's really important to onboard the next thousand. And this is where I think that that can actually matter. I want to transition like the, I guess, more of like the ending part of our conversation to talk about the future of Solana. Okay. Um, I'm curious, like, what, what are some examples of things that can only be built on Solana that can't be built on Ethereum? or any of the L2s on Ethereum or Flow, for example? So right now, I mean, like the biggest examples are Serum, where the number of transactions per day that Serum is doing is larger than most of the networks combined. Um, and that's because that's, a, that's like a NASDAQ style exchange. Market makers send bids and asks and, order, and like cancels and just the, the level of mm -hmm. throughput necessary to maintain it and the transaction prices to be so cheap that no other network comes, comes close. Um, and I, th despite us being live for like, you know, over two and a half years now, I'm still surprised no one has been able to like demonstrate it <laughs> again anywhere else. I think that'll probably change in the next two to, to three, five years, but it's not going to be in an EVM compatible or like Ethereum rollup style environment. So, the kind of use cases that enables is 
outside of this like kind of very boring finance thing is that users that are web three users that are more consumer oriented, like folks that use, you know, the web, they want a fast response time. They want cheap transactions. They want the stuff to almost be a, a feature right? that like kind of goes away. <laughs> you're not really as aware of it as you are of like when you're using Ethereum and this is what it enables. Like people build like, like messaging apps and things like that, like check out dialect. You can literally just have a real time conversation with people by using this like on-chain messaging primitives. Mm. What about bottoms up? Like what are the communities that are very unique to Solana's ecosystem that don't really exist anywhere else? Um, our validator communities really like, um, these were folks that, uh, like drive into the middle of nowhere to set up data like boxes in, in data centers. It's a very like, uh, you know, chewing glass for them was like, this is where that whole motto chewing glass came from is from the validator okay. folks. Cause it's such a pain in the, in the butt to do. But, uh, I think our devs are unique in a, in a separate community from a lot of the Ethereum devs. A lot of that came from us using rust and a different runtime. So there wasn't, you know, we didn't have a run of people copying and pasting code from Ethereum. It was actually, you had to build everything from scratch. And that meant that this was, uh, an opportunity for, for devs to go and like be creative. They had a, a chance like in a open canvas, right. To like go build something unique versus when you launch an EBM, like Ethereum compatible environment, all the stuff that's on Ethereum is copied over instantly. So you don't actually get a chance to like build a whole new community and mm. th that's pretty unique. And similarly, I think there's not a ton of overlap between the NFT folks on Solana and Ethereum folks. There's some, but I think cause all NFT, NFT enjoyers enjoy them anywhere, <laughs> but it, it has been like pretty unique. Got it. I guess uh, a few more questions for you. Okay. I know Solana also established a pretty powerful grants program. Uh, program, excuse me. I think my broader question is like, how do you, how do you think about building a sustainable developer ecosystem and like retaining people from the grants that are handed out? So, um, what, what I think is actually retaining folks is when they're able to get to like, um, like a MVP fundable, like company stage. Um, and the grants are there to kind of like reduce that like initial energy cost to go start working on something. Maybe there's like a big technology piece that needs to be unblocked first or things like that. But we see that like what, what's actually retaining people, um, is that they go start building stuff. It maybe it comes from a grant. Some of them are like really small, just 5k go like fix this bug. <laughs> uh, but that like inspires them to go build a product in a hackathon. And when they do that, they realize that they have something unique. People self-join and form teams in those hackathons. And before the hackathon is over, some of them get funding like instantly. Yeah. And like, you know, that that's been like a really surprising, but really fast moving way for, for folks to like onboard. So last couple questions. Okay. Um, number one is where do you think creators should be spending their energy in the bear market? I mean, the kind of always, you know, I would say practice your art, right. And focus on, on, the, on like deepening what you love, kind of follow your soul, <laughs> so to speak. And, uh, I think if you do that and you're genuine, a community will form around it. And that's going to yeah. be the thing that like kind of carries you forward. Um, with that in mind, I think I err in the side of shipping quickly, like ship fast, iterate. And that may be, I don't know if that's a good advice for creators, but it's a really good advice for engineers. And I think maybe creators too. I feel like creators are so emotionally attached to their creations that it's so hard to even release a song, let alone an album or an EP or a new piece <laughs> of art. <laughs> the but I, the few folks that I know that are artists generate so many sketches and like different like versions of the same song. It's just like an unimaginable amount of content and like, I think if, if you're building in crypto, like there's something to be said about being kind of open source about it and like 
letting people see how the process and how things are made. And that's been a really good bootstrapping process for just developers, like being really open with them from the, from day one, like letting them see the mistakes that you're making. So on that, on that same question, okay. What are some of the things that you've been collecting that you, that you love and adore and follow on? Like, how can we get Anatoly to be a collector? What does that look like? Um, I do. I like, you see me switch my profile picture. Those are <laughs> NFTs that I buy. <laughs> Solid. So, there's stuff that like pops up uh, and I do it. Uh, I try, I'm, I don't have time to be in a mint, like early in a mint. So I'm always late to the party, but that's okay. <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't have like any thesis or anything like that. I, I just think okay. that there's some things that pop up that have like, capture that like culture moment or like capture that like the spell of the community or whatever they did something really cool and i'm like okay i gotta go get that thing and i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen to it maybe like 30 <laughs> years from now it'll be on christie's anatoly's nft collection <laughs> <laughs> solid very solid all right final final question for you okay if you were to build another blockchain now would you rebuild soul oh my god man Raj and I like sometimes say never again. <laughs> so much work. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like if I like so far the way like I I look back and like I think about like did we make any wrong decisions and and what I realize that like we just got lucky in a lot of the decisions that we made. Like we made them blind for the limited information that we had, but like we got so lucky with working on Rust and using that as a smart language. We got really lucky on build, making this a parallel environment and just like focusing on the low latency part. And we even got lucky with some of our mistakes that we made, like the fact that we didn't have, we didn't copy like the mempool fee market. We actually got to see what works and innovate there. So I guess, yeah, I would probably remake Soul, but try to do it faster, I guess. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Solid. Anatoly, this was great. Before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we find more about Solana, the Web3 mobile scene, the new retail store? Yeah. Chill away. Um, go to solanamobile.com. There's a bunch of stuff there. Pre-order the Saga phone. You can follow Solana's Twitter or myself, a Yakovenko. Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll have to do this again soon. For sure. Thank you. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ, and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.